Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We're a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. Although the pandemic causes us to adjust our methods, our message stays the same. God, through Jesus, is making all things new. Father God, I pray that the light of your word would illuminate the path before us today. Jesus, would you give us eyes to see you and hearts to receive you. Holy Spirit, we want to be transformed. Hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm one of the leaders at Detroit Church. And we've been working our way through the life of Jesus in the book of John. And today we find ourselves in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 59. But before we go to John, I want to get us started back, 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 way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, where God and his overflowing love and desire for relationships created a man and a woman. Took some dust, breathed some life into it, called it beautiful, named it Adam and Eve, and he took these two people, placed them in this lush garden. We like to call it paradise. They could eat whatever fresh food they wanted, whenever they wanted. Their only job was to hang out with their lover and they had a divine purpose of giving companionship to a divine creator. But what happens? There's an enemy, of course. A liar. Someone seeking to destroy life. And he tempts Eve with this thought that there's actually something more that she needs to do. Something more that she needs to become to be like God. She reaches for that fruit and does she become something more? No, the harsh reality hits that something more doesn't actually exist. There's no such thing as becoming more valuable than what God has already declared valuable, or more worthy than what he's already declared worthy. Let's say you have a 24 karat gold bar. I've personally never held a 24 karat gold bar, but I'm told it's the purest form of gold that you can get. And let's decide you don't like how it looks, so you go out and get a velvet ribbon and tie it around and take it to the jeweler. Is it going to be worth any more than 24 karat gold? No. That's silly. Just because you changed it on the outside doesn't change its value and its worth. So when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the enemy, they were rejecting God's valuation of themselves. Instead of finding the more they imagined existed, feelings of less than entered the story. Suddenly, they're experiencing vulnerability instead of security in their divine companionship. The Bible calls this nakedness. And what's our like knee-jerk reaction to nakedness? Let's pretend you're in the bathroom, you just got out of the shower, and someone throws the door open. What do you do? Uh, unless you're my four-year-old child who loves to run around the house naked and thinks it's hilarious, you're probably reaching for the shower curtain, reaching for a towel or clothes or whatever you can find to hide from whoever's coming in the door. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve do. They grab fig leaves, they jump in the bushes, and this is exactly what we do in all of life. When we believe lies, we reach for things, for relationships, for skills, for careers that utter false promises to us that they'll make us worthy of love. We invest in characteristics of ourselves that we believe will give our lives more value. Thomas Merton described it, as winding experiences around myself, like bandages, in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world. 
as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. And over the years, we come to prize some of these characteristics and experiences about ourselves more than others. So we all have our piles of fig leaves that we try to piece together to cover ourselves. But then there are those gold fig leaves, those prize items, those prize characteristics, prize experiences that we value more than anything else. And the problem is not with the characteristics. Oftentimes they're good things. Sometimes they're even godly things. The problem is the, the amount of energy and effort we put into those things. The problem is that we put our faith in these characteristics to really make us something, as if what God made wasn't enough. It's like we're trying to be like God without God. We take deep pride in these things because we want glory. If my truest self is loved, what glory is in that for me? God's love is freely given. That's glory for Him. But respect from man is earned. I don't know about you, but I crave the glory that comes from respect. I want people to like me and to honor me more because of all the energy that I'm putting into becoming my best version of me. If my true self is simply loved, there's no fuel for my ego. There's no food for my pride. I believe this is why our generation um, is so obsessed with being special. It's because we crave that glory that comes from people worshiping our originality, worshiping what we think that we've created ourselves. So the story in John today is basically this epic battle between Jesus and a group of people who have the same problem as Adam and Eve and the same problem as you and I. See, Jesus is the only person that ever lived that didn't give in to the illusion that we can become something more. The same sneaky tempter that came to Adam and Eve in the lush garden came to Jesus in the wilderness. Except that Jesus is not a man like us. And he was able to do what Adam and Eve were not able to do. He was able to look the tempter in the eye and stand confident in who he was. He knows who he is. He knows he came from God. He knows where he's going. He knows he's going back to God. His value is not in question. He doesn't need any more power than he already has. He doesn't need any more prestige than he already has. He doesn't need any more possessions than he already has. He doesn't need anything because he knows he's loved and that to him is everything. It's more than enough. Jesus didn't need to be anywhere other than where God had assigned him, which was a few square miles in the Middle East. He was fine embracing the limitations of his era. He walked everywhere, rode on a donkey. He was fine being in one small corner of the world because he was loved and he knew it and that was enough. So the other people that we're about to see in this story are a lot like this. They've got their prized characteristics. And for these guys in particular, their golden fig leaf, so to speak, is their heritage. They put a lot of stock in their religious zeal, their customs, and their forefathers. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all great things to be proud of, but 
The problem is that they had put all of their hope and all of their trust in those things to give them worth before God. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, when confident Jesus confronts this crowd of people, they get defensive. Not just like a little bristly, I'm talking like ugly, scary, angry, defensive. So Jesus is in Jerusalem and the holiday they're celebrating or they've just celebrated is the Feast of the Booths. And this is where they're remembering how God led them out of the wilderness and led them with a huge fiery pillar. And everyone would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, bring their kids, it was a week-long affair. And every night, they would light these massive candlesticks that had been erected in the temple treasury. These candlesticks were 75 feet tall. They actually made the wicks out of the priests and the Levites' old clothing. And young men would scamper up these ladders to light them every night, and the lights would burn all night, every night during the feast. And then at the end of the seven days, they would put out the lights and have a solemn assembly. During the feast, the holiest men in Israel would get their instruments, they would dance and sing, and they were primarily praising God for his promises to send a Messiah, a rescuer, who was going to bring salvation to Israel, free them from bondage, renew the glory of their nation, and restore their joy. So Jesus is hanging out in the treasury, which is the part of the temple where these pillars have just been taken down. They're not lit anymore, and yet here's the true Messiah telling the people around him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And just like little centipedes that go scurrying when you turn the basement light on, these people go running for cover behind their self-constructed images. They get super defensive because Jesus has just insinuated that they're walking in darkness. Oh, why should we believe you? You're just talking about yourself. Someone else needs to bear witness about you. But Jesus is not defensive because he doesn't have to be. He knows who he is. There is someone else who bears witness about me. It's my father who sent me, he tells them. So they get flustered, they start spewing questions and insults, and finally they just ask him, who are you? And Jesus wastes no words telling them exactly who he is. I know where I came from. I am from above. I am not from this world. I know my father. I came from God. I came on his accord. I can do nothing on my own authority. I have heard from God and I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I don't judge people according to the flesh like you do. Even if I do judge, my judgments are true. I do not seek my own glory. I honor my Father. I know where I'm going. I tell the truth and my words will set you free. We are the offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that you will become free? Okay, so do you ever say really stupid stuff when you're feeling defensive? <laughs> That's basically what these guys are doing. So they had definitely been enslaved before. They'd been enslaved to Egypt, they'd been enslaved to the Philistines and Babylon and Persia and Syria. 
and they were at the present moment under the rule of Rome. And they had just finished praising God for his promises for a Messiah to free them from their slavery. So here they are in just total denial about what Jesus is saying. Like, nah, we're good. But Jesus wasn't talking about their physical bondage. He wasn't talking about their external circumstances. He was talking about their internal bondage. He tells them straight up, if you practice sin, you are a slave to sin. But they don't want to hear it. These guys are stuck. Like Eve, like, like all of us. They've always been more interested in their own glory. Their heritage as children of Abraham is their most prized characteristic. It's the thing about themselves they've put all their hope in to give them value. Even though they think they know God, they are more dedicated to preserving their false valuation than to knowing the truth. They're so dedicated to their pride, they're willing to commit spiritual suicide. Abraham is our father, they're screeching. Jesus said to them in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. What are you talking about? <laughs> we aren't illegitimate children. Our father is God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. The Jews are furious. This is completely insulting. They go digging around to come up with the best racial slur they can come up with and then hyper-spiritualize the situation to keep themselves in the right. You're obviously a Samaritan. You obviously have a demon. These are the things they say to Jesus. He replies, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews are irate. Now we know you have a demon. <laughs> what are you talking about? Abraham died. The prophets died. Are you greater than them? You're saying, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered them, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, 
of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews were like, okay, you're not even 50 years old and you think you've seen Abraham? And this is it. Jesus takes his last swing at their empty false constructions of value. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that's it. They cannot handle another word from this guy. I am is how God described himself to Moses in the burning bush. It refers to this eternal existence that's outside of time. Any Jew would know that's a title that belongs to God alone. So when Jesus says this, violence ensues. They grab rocks to throw at Jesus with every intent to kill him. But it's not his time yet, so he hides himself, slips through the crowd, and leaves the temple. So as you think about your life over the last six months or so, what moments come to mind where you found yourself defensive? It could be as major as a, I want to throw a rock at you kind of moment, or it could be as subtle as just a little, who do you think you are, bristle? If you can't think of anything, maybe ask someone who's close to you. I'm sure that they could probably come up with some examples for you. So moments where we find ourselves really defensive or angry are moments that can reveal to us those parts of us that we have excessive attachments to, that we think make us extra special or worth something more than how God has made us. So something I've come to realize about myself recently is that I really, really value being culturally sensitive and aware. I've spent most of my adult life studying the complexities of the black American experience and have a lot of experience living in diverse urban communities. I don't think that desire to be culturally sensitive is a bad thing. I think it's part of God's call on my life um, to, to serve and, and live and bring the kingdom in diverse areas. The problem is not with that part of myself. The problem is this excessive attachment that I've come to realize I have. It can be really easy for me to slip into thinking that my experiences with a diversity of people make me better than other white people. I've gotten offended when black people assume that I'm just like all the other white people. Um, I've definitely quietly judged people in my heart if I think they're ignorant of racial and cultural issues. And I recently got really offended when someone insinuated, kindly insinuated, that I might need some cultural competency training. As if I've like arrived at every issue in cultural competency. I've had to step back and say, whoa, Lindsay, even something beautiful in your life can become ugly if you allow it to be the only thing that defines you. The truth is, before I was ever culturally sensitive at all, I was loved by God. Before I ever had a black friend, I was loved by God. 
before I ever had any friends at all, I was loved by God. That's the truest part about me. That's the part that matters most. Accepting Jesus for who he says he is means that we have to be willing to give God 100% of the glory in our lives. It means we have to let go of those prized characteristics that we've clung to for our sense of meaning. The people in this story could not see Jesus for who he was because for them to accept his true self meant admitting that all along they would believed a lie. They were God's chosen people. There's no way they were ignorant enough to believe a liar, right? Accepting Jesus at his word meant they weren't quite as holy as they thought they were. They weren't quite as special as they thought. The light of the world was shining on their pride, exposing their judgment. And if they acknowledged that he was really from God, they would have to acknowledge that he was right about the darkness in their souls. So if you have been convicted in any way today by anything that's been said, I want to encourage you to make some time and space, either today or later this week, to read through every word of this passage. We're going to actually post a link to an exercise um, that you can do. It's a personal reflection with some questions that are designed to help you uncover those prized gold fig leaves, that things that might be keeping you back from experiencing the truth and light of God in your life. Listening to a message like this might be inspiring for a few moments, but unless we make time to really let the words of Jesus sink deep in us and wrestle with them, we don't actually give them the power to transform our lives. In verse 31 of this chapter, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Something I've noticed is that a lot of Christians really like to take the second half of that sentence without taking into consideration the first half of the sentence. So, to abide literally means to make your home in. And because of the quarantine, we all have a different idea about what it means to make our home, right? So not only are we eating and sleeping and drinking and cleaning and washing and caring, but now we're also schooling and working and churching. Everything's at home. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. Make our home in his words. Let them sink deep within us. So my encouragement to you today is please don't just check church off your to-do list for today and move on. Make some time to do the exercise that we posted below. Ask the Holy Spirit to let the light of the world shine in on your heart and free you from the tyranny of the lies. Your truest self is loved. Someone a lot bigger than you, a lot wiser than you, decided before the foundation of the world that you were worth something and the brightness of his light could change your life. I was loved before I was. You fill in the blank. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church. We want to let you know about a 24-hour prayer and gratitude hotline for essential workers and those affected by COVID-19. If you or someone you know could benefit from some prayer, encouraging words, or a listening ear, please call or text 313-637-5050. 
You are seen and loved by God and us.